I wanted to just dive into our text. We're in Philippians 4 this morning, but wanted to start with a just quick word of prayer. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be together in your house. Thank you for this letter that we've been studying. And as I've dove into it over the last month or two, it's just so cool to see how specific and direct the charges are still for us today. I thank you that your word is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness and I pray that you do that this morning that you'd speak to us specifically and even as John mentioned that you'd rid us of distraction that this wouldn't be for the person down the road that it'd be a message for us pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ amen so looking at chapter four this morning if you're newer here you might not know kind of how we do things really we just work through different sections of scripture and we've been working through the book of Philippians and we're in chapter 4 now, and so it's super helpful to be looking at that together if you don't mind turning there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that with you. Really, the, the often in Scripture, the sections that we work through, they're often teaching us important theology, important shaping our worldview and the way we understand uh, life. This time, though, this section of Scripture is a little less of the heady piece and a little bit more of the just practical. These are some things as a Christ follower you can do today, this afternoon. You can start working on it in the next hour. So if if you're one of the people that like more heady and more processing stuff, I don't know what to tell you this morning, but if you like things that are more practical and I can do it here now today, this message is for you. Look at verse 1 in chapter 4. It says, Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Starts with therefore, and a number of his sections have started with that, and really pointing to what he had just talked about prior to this. If you're here last week, the section that we're in before this, he was talking about the fact that what we're not citizens of this world, that we're not, uh, don't get too comfortable here because you're just passing through that wonderful reminder that we're just waiting for our king to return. So therefore, because of that, because you're not citizens here, because of that, he's saying there's some things that are a thing that I'd like you to do. This is audience participation. What does he tell us to do? What's the specific thing that he charges us to do? It's kind of meshed in with lots of love and affection and words like, uh, what, what does he say there? Whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, my beloved. What does he tell them to do? Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. And really that's the, the big idea of our time together, this charge to stand firm. And really it's taken from a military term. It's a picture of somebody in battle. We have this picture that I, that I was looking at this week that kind of paints that picture. Regardless of what's happening on the b- battlefield around us, we're called to remain constant, to stand firm or to be unshakable might be a better description for that. Question is, why is that so important for the Christ follower to hear? Why did this little church in Philippi need to hear that? Why is it such a big deal? I would suggest the reason it's elevated to this point is because we as Christ followers are too often easily shaken thrown off our game, taken out of the game by the most small things. Made me think of a kind of a silly story from uh, some years back. 
we were at a young adults event, and they had this uh, inflatable jousting thing. Have you guys ever seen this before? And they had this thing where you got up on these two stands, and I remember them being a lot higher than that. And we, I think the ones we had were like a, a stick with soft things at the end of it. And the, the college group that I was with really wanted to see myself go against Adrian. And she might not remember the, this story, but it was one of those guy moments where it's literally a no-win situation. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Because if you go hard and knock her off, and then you look like a big jerk, and if you go soft, you look like you're kind of catering and, and being a wimp and all of this stuff. So I'm standing up there with this miserable crossroads, and what, what do you guys think I, I chose? Absolutely. I went with this hard... She, <laughs> She, she, she was there. She's talking trash a little bit. Come on, Big Bubba. Let's see what you got. And, uh, and, and, and before you know it, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give one, one hard shot, see what happens. Well, it was kind of, I kind of felt bad, though, because I took one good shot, and she went flying. So like, like across the, 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 the blow-up thing, she might not remember this as clearly as I do, uh, and, and, and she literally landed there on her back and kind of shocked looking up at me, and everybody's on the sidelines, and they're booing me. They're booing me, much like you are right now in this moment as you hear this story, but it was an impasse, and what I was thinking about it is how often we as Christ followers, really all it takes is one good shot, and we're literally on our backs. One, one, one conflict that we can't seem to get over. One, one, one piece of, of, of uh, anxiety that I can't rid myself. One, one uh, mind thing that our, our, our mind has gotten stuck in this rut or this trap. And before we know it, you're like, you know what? I used to be in the Word I used to talk to God consistently. I used to, a lot of I used to's happen because we're not standing firm. We're not unshakable. And what he's challenging us to this morning is saying, listen, there, if we're going to be unshakable, you've got to be aware of some things that have the propensity to knock us off track. And that's the remainder of the section of script this morning is really going through at first I didn't catch it until going through it quite a bit. Really it goes through he calls us to stand firm and then it goes through all the things that have potential to shake us, warning us. And maybe as you're going through this list you can ask some tough questions, which of these am I most prone to be shaken by? Which of these am I most prone to be shaken by? And he goes through three different ones. In the text, we'll see if you catch them as we're working through it, or you can just glance down at your notes that are pre-typed. The first one is this, don't allow conflict to shake you. Make peace. Look at the words there. It says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntec to get new names. No, it doesn't say that. It says, I entreat them to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labor, labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Kind of a cool section there, if you think about it. The first thing that I, I thought of in reading this 
is what a bummer if you're one of those two ladies in the church getting this letter from the Apostle Paul and you see your names listed as the poster children for unresolved conflict. Like, how, how intense? Can you imagine if the letter came to our church right now and it picked on, on two people that couldn't get past a conflict? You're like, oh man, what a, what a stinky situation. But obviously, it wasn't something that was news to anybody there. They knew the situation. They knew that there was something that was between these ladies, and they can't blame it on them like, well, well, they didn't, they didn't know Christ. No, it's clear that these were two ladies that were Christ followers, both partnering with Paul in the gospel, both clearly believers. It describes them as, says their names in the book of life. Book of life is, Scripture often points to the list of believers, those that are, that are heaven-bound. And so he's saying, listen, these two ladies have allowed something to take root that's been ongoing long enough that it's even made it to Paul that he's heard about it. So that's why he's calling them, he's pleading with them. What does he plead for them? To agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Those are important, uh, important words, I would suggest. Agree in the Lord. What do you think they were bickering over? What do you think they were bickering over? I don't know. I'm thinking if it was a doctrinal issue or something important, do you think Paul maybe would have been interested in addressing that? Yeah, I'm guessing so. So I'm guessing that, and we can, we can interpret by voting, I'm guessing they were arguing over something dumb. Anybody think that's a strong possibility? Something that was still silly. What do, what do church people still argue about? Silly stuff. Silly stuff that doesn't necessarily matter. And so he's pleading with them, in the Lord, move on, agree in the Lord. And I think that's key, even in standing firm, it points to it, and repeated here is so many, so much better, or better things happen when it's done in the Lord. Disagreements all of a sudden often dissolve. My wife and I have had kind of a, a funny couple evenings on Friday evening, and I guess I kind of got permission to share this. Uh, Friday, Friday evening, uh, we, were, we, were, we were heading, uh, we're talking about uh, silly disagreements here. So we're, we're heading to bed, and I have a preference to have a fan on in the room and when we're going to sleep, and my wife doesn't really care. Well, we t- try to go to bed at the same time, and we're, we're, we're hopping in bed, and I, I, I was there already, and she was walking by and just about to get in bed, and I'm like, oh, honey, can I, can I trouble you to flip on the fan? Well, she didn't like the idea of having to go flip on the fan. I don't even care about the fan. And so it ended up in this silly, and I'm like, oh, am I such a burden that you have to turn on the fan? You, has, anybody have any of these conversations? This is confession time. We're in church. Is this such a burden? And so we're there laying there, and we're both a little bit ticked off at each other. This is just vulnerable. I'm being vulnerable here, right? And we're both a little ticked off, and there's that crossroads where I'm laying there, and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. The Holy Spirit starts working on you, right? Starts guilt tripping you, starts saying, Scott, you're being kind of a punk there. You could have gotten up and gotten the fan. You didn't have to do that. Like you, you, you had to take it to the next level, didn't you? And so soon in this true story, about 10 minutes later, maybe a little less, I'm like, honey, I'm sorry. I was an idiot. I should have gotten the fan. I apologize. It's not like you don't do lots of things for me. And uh, we go on to have this conversation. And the, the point that I bring that up is because, when the Lord 
has a chance to work in softening our hearts, when we allow him to, he'll point out the ridiculousness of most of our disputes. Again, I'll say that. He'll point out the ridiculousness of most of our disputes when we're in the Lord and not in the flesh. When we're in the Lord and not in the flesh, then all of a sudden he's like, hey, I've got some room to work. And then last night it was kind of funny because she walked in and we're getting, going to bed last night. And I, 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 she hopped in and I was already in bed. She hop, hopped in bed and she walked right by the light switch and goes, honey, after getting in bed, do you mind getting the lights? I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's my wife. Um, but really, in all seriousness, biblically, we really have two options. Two options. Option number one, we choose to forgive and move on. That's like 98% of things. Option number one, forgive and move on. Be a community of grace. Be a family of grace. That's option number one. Then there's certain times, there's certain things that it's appropriate, Matthew 18 talks about this, to confront somebody and address the area of conflict. I appreciated it at the church that I was at in Chicago, uh, the senior pastor there. He came up with a list that's kind of stuck with me over the, the years. I'll, I'll show it to you. When do you know or questions to ask as to whether or not it's worth having a kind of a drawn out or, or, or take it to the next level, escalate it to being a, a, a discussion between the two of you, working through this. Maybe, maybe these would be a good filter for each of us. First one, eternal importance. In a thousand years from now, will it even matter a little bit? There we go. We just took off like 99.9% of all of our disputes, right? So that, that's, that's, number, that's number one question to ask. Wrestle through that. No, number two question, is, biblical, is there a biblical conviction? Can you take the person to a biblical area or issue that needs to be confronted and you're like, you know what? You're either acting or thinking inconsistent with truth. That's one that I'd suggest like, hey, that might be worth talking about. That might be worth a discussion. That might be worth the whole idea of iron sharpening iron, right? So that's, that, that's question number two. Question number three, is it something that Christians have to agree on? Is it something that Christians have to agree on? How often there's things that are like, hey, you can, you can think this about this, and I can think this about this. These are peripheral issues. They're not, uh, it's not a big deal. It's things that we can agree to disagree on, and we'll find out in heaven who is right, and it's okay regardless of who is right in that situation. Wonderful filter to take things through to assess whether it's not worthy within the church of elevating to being an area of confrontation. Helpful, I think, to assess those things and wrestle through that. But here's the important thing, as we continue just talking about this idea of conflict, is make sure that we do, when there is things worthy of working through, that we put in the hard work of working through it. You see, if we're going to sharpen each other, it's critical that we do that. Otherwise, if no one actually brings up issues, we just go along the one, the person that doesn't bring it up, who anybody a kind of a, a conflict avoider, kind of self-proposed, like, I don't like conflict, I'd rather avoid it. What happens there, that person, there's the danger of them becoming a, a stuffer, 
stuffing things in and getting more and more bitter and letting roots take place. So that's dangerous. That's why we need to confront it if we haven't forgiven. And the second piece is, if you don't confront the knucklehead that keeps doing the dumb stuff, they keep doing the dumb stuff in blindness, right? So nobody wins in that scenario when we don't biblically go through the process of addressing conflict appropriately. So he points to these two ladies and he tells them, man, agree in the Lord. Most likely for them, it was not a doctrinal issue, something they just needed to work through. He points to a suggestion and he enlists the help of others. He says true companions, likely an elder or a leader, to help them along in this. Often we can be that person that comes along as a third party to maybe cheer somebody along or help them work through their junk. But the thing that I found probably the most interesting in this section is Paul gives an alternative to bickering. Do you see that in the text? When he just finished going through this, this charge, then verse 4 he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. When you hear that at first and you're like, you know what, if I was making a list of things I would suggest in dealing with conflict, I don't know if that would necessarily be it. But think about it for a moment. The rejoicing person is hard for them to linger in conflict. When you're constantly just, man, thanking God for His goodness, His faithfulness, His provision, when they, uh, his, his praises are on the, li- on the tip of our tongue, man, it's, it's hard to stay kind of bitter and angry. That's why he's saying, hey, I don't mind repeating this. He, just, he said it earlier in the last chapter. Again, I say rejoice, rejoice. We're supposed to be people that rejoice. The alternative to bitterness. Even called to rejoice in the middle of a good church fight. Think about that. Then the next thing he charges, he gives so many great uh, points here. He says, let your reasonable bit, reasonableness be known to everyone. Maybe your text, it might say gentleness. I'm not sure what version you're looking about, but ESV says reasonableness. Others' translations, gentleness. It means not unnecessarily rigorous without your legal right in view. Without your legal right in view. In other words, so many people forfeit their joy over the exertion of their rights. So many people forfeit their joy over the exertion of their rights. But this is, this is wrong what they're doing. This is, I deserve this. How many times conflict needs to be said, no, let your reasonableness be evident to those around you. Assess, kind of put your pride on the shelf. Humble yourself with reasonableness is what he charges the, them with. And the reason he points to that, look at what he says. Right after that, the Lord is at hand. How do those two ideas connect? In other words, you don't have to play judge because dad's coming soon to work through this stuff. Remember as a a little kid, the piece that I would, my my mom would play this card often. She would say, uh, I'd get in trouble doing something stupid. And, uh, and she'd say, well, listen, we're not going to deal with it now. We're going to wait until what? Dad gets home. Anybody else hate hearing those words? 
You're just like, oh, man, I don't want to wait for dad to get home. Mom, can't you just spank me or do something? Whatever you're going to do, do it now. Get it out of the way because she's like, no, we're just going to wait till dad gets home. You're like, oh, I don't want to wait for dad to get home. And really this picture here is like, hey, just wait because dad's going to get home. He's the one that's going to sort this stuff out. You can turn it over to him. That's why he keeps saying, in the Lord. He's going to work it out. A wonderful reminder. My question for us is, are you being shaken by unresolved conflict? Are you being shaken by unresolved conflict? Unable to connect with God? Love for others diminished? Mentally distracted from your purpose, all because of unresolved conflict. How are we doing on this? It's part of the charge to become unshakable is to deal with conflict appropriately. Next one, directly in the text. Don't allow worry to shake you. Pray. Look at what it says. It's really direct. Do not be anxious about anything But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Can't be much more direct than that in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. So the question is, what are legitimate things to worry about? We had a legitimate list of things to have conflict over. What are legitimate things to worry about? Employment, finances, your kid's spiritual condition, failing health, politics, what someone thinks about you. Which things make the list based on this text? Here's audience participation. None of them. Absolutely none of them. It says, do not be anxious about anything. You can't have a more exclusive statement than that. He's saying nothing makes the list. He's saying nothing is something that you're allowed to hang on to. Worry is not an option in the life of a Christ follower. Think about that for a moment. Really, at the root of worry, what's at the root of worry? At the root of worry is distrust. At the root, it's really a trust issue. If you're going to break it down to its core, nothing makes the list. If we're, if we're worrying, we're actually saying God can't or won't take care of fill in the blank. Or my problems are greater than his promises. Both of those distrust issues. Why is that? Why is that? Why do we give ourselves permission to that for that? Why do we allow certain things that we're like, ah, kind of giving myself kind of a permission you know there's there's big sins like lying and stealing those things make the uh, make the the big screen but so often i would suggest that worry is one of the addictions really one of the guilty pleasures we allow ourselves in following christ one of those guilty pleasures that we're like oh i i know i'm not supposed to do that but yeah i'm i'm a worry wart wart you're like no no we're not allowed for that At its root, it's a trust issue. What did you worry about this week? What did it accomplish? I read this week that there's over 100 different diseases attributed to worry and anxiety. It literally takes us from the, it literally influences our health. 
It literally does. The charge is the alternative. What does it say in the text? But in everything, what's the alternative to worry? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the alternative. That's the antidote. He's saying, you're not allowed to worry about any, anything, but, man, I want to hear about everything. Every single one of your concerns. What if worry became a trigger? Every time it kind of sneaks in one of those thoughts into your mind, you're like, oh, well, that means i got to bring it to God again because that's what he says. I'm not allowed to worry about it. What if it was a, a trigger that moved us to conversation? That's what he's inviting us to. If you think about it, we really have two alternatives in life. You can either hold on to your stuff and be that anxious, miserable person. You can, that, that's option one. Or the alternative is you can turn things over to him, the one that can actually alter situations, the one that can move things, the one that can move mountains, that can change hearts and allow him to radically work in your life. Which alternative, which route are you taking? says, let your requests be made known to God. Anybody ever wonder or wrestle through that question, why do we tell God stuff he already knows? Anybody have that, that conversation with God before? Like, why, why do I need to tell God something he already knows? In fact, we were just in our men's discipleship group this last week, and we are talking about that in the morning. We are saying, like, well, why, why is it necessary to tell him things that he already knows? What, what if our view on that is backwards? Instead of saying, oh, he knows everything, he doesn't need to hear, hear anything, what if our view was instead, wow, he knows everything and he still wants to hear from me? He knows all my darkest, deepest secrets. He knows about me bickering over fans. He knows about this and, and he knows about that. And he's like, and he still wants to hear from me? It's all a, a, just a shift in perspective. My son Chase, I love him. He's a, a little talker. Once you get him going, he tell, likes to tell stories and tell long details. And I don't know, I think there's kind of a stage with kids where they kind of learn how to filter through what are important details, what are unimportant details. He hasn't quite gotten to that stage uh, to determine the two. So he tells stories that are long and lots of details. But and often when I'm listening to him tell me stories, I'm like, I know that. I know that already. I knew that. Or I knew all those details. It wasn't new information, but what? I, I'm so crazy about my son. I love that little guy. I don't care. I love hearing everything. I love hearing every boring detail. I love hearing about what th this new video game and all the, the, the things that this new character does. Like, I, I like hearing why. Because it's part of the relationship. It's part of that relationship. So we need, to, we, we need to shift our thinking from information exchange to relationship. Saying God's saying, man, I want to hear from you. And when he does hear, it's kind of like, yes, finally, he's pulling me into the process. I long for that. I want to be involved in the things. I want to hear his concerns. I want him to pull me in and involve me in this process. He invites us to it. It's the opposite of anxiety. He invites us to prayer and supplication. Do you guys know what the difference of prayer and supplication? Prayer are things about me. Supplication is about others. That's the difference. Supplication is about other people. Prayer is about me. He's saying bring, bring both of those. Your concerns about others and your concerns about yourself. And he said wrap it all in thanksgiving. Like It's so fun to see how many things make the, the list, if you will, in Scripture. And you're like, I probably wouldn't have thought to add that. But look at, look at what thanksgiving does. It's another key component. It shows that we trust Him and have noticed 
his faithfulness. When we do it in Thanksgiving, we, it shows that we trust him and we've noticed. We're like, man, I'm bringing it to you, but man, I've seen how faithful you've been. I'm thanking you for that. What you've already done, your track record has been amazing in my life. My question for you is, has worry robbed you or distracted you or shaken you? Is that something that you need to experience what he promises in verse 7 the peace of God. That's the outcome of this shift. When we start bringing things before him, all of a sudden you can say, man, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. A lot of us have committed that to memory. That surpasses anything we could comprehend. That's what's going to guard your heart. That's the promise of this shift of me carrying my anxiety versus him carrying my anxiety. I was listening to a, one preacher this week that was explaining surpasses all understanding. I thought it was kind of a neat angle on it. First time that I've read that, or many times I've read it, I typically think of surpasses understanding as kind of like that idea of like, it's just so much peace, it doesn't even make sense. I don't even, it's crazy. It's beyond what I can comprehend. And he, he was suggesting that beyond understanding, I thought this was an in, interesting take on it. Instead, I can't define, it's not a peace I can't define, but rather a peace that's better than the way I was looking at it. His understanding exceeds my perception, my limited bird's eye, my limited uh, tunnel vision. His way is so much better and it surpasses my understanding. That's the outcome and that's what's going to allow us to become more and more unshakable. Very last one, verse 8. Don't, don't allow wandering thoughts shake you. Review the good. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So much of the battle for being unshakable has to do with what's playing on the screens of our mind right? That can either, our thoughts, our, our wandering thoughts can take us down, it can distract us, it can get us off target, it can, it can take us down roads of sin, it can keep us from, from, from giving God the rightful attention He deserves. And He's saying, you need to regain control over your thought life. Nobody else can control your thinking. You're the one responsible for it. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive. You are the filter that determines whether or not that captive thought gets attention or not. You need to give some commands to your thoughts. Some years back, I was with Adrian and the kids at a, a public pool. It's kind of interesting, the guy that was sitting next to us uh, he, I, I, we were just kind of paying attention. He was talking to himself a lot. Like, I, I mean, I, I talk to myself sometimes. Anybody talk to themselves every once in a while when nobody's listening, paying attention? But this guy was kind of giving himself a play-by-play, -play, like kind of like, oh, I think I should go over there and get a chair. Let's get that chair. I'm walking over and getting that chair. Okay, I think I'm going to go, oh, I should take a dip. It's getting real hot out. He's, you're looking, you're like, is this, is this guy talking to somebody? Like, who's he? Oh, he he's, he's giving himself directives 
one step at a time. One, he was a little bit like, ooh, interesting. But, uh, but two, I was thinking about that. I don't know why it came back to me when I was preparing this, but I was thinking about that. What I like about it is he was controlling every single phase, every action by talking, giving himself commands. And I was like, man, what if we had that same kind of control of what things our mind dwells on? Which things we linger on, which things we give thought to. Like, nope, you gotta go. That's gotta go. That nope, no room for that. That's that didn't make it through the filter. That's that's definitely not true. That's definitely not honorable. That's not just, pure, lovely, commendable, or worthy of praise. No way. That can't come in. What if we started having that degree of filter on our minds? You're the only one that can control your thinking. And how often Our thinking is determined by what things we allow to come in to our mind from the world around us. I don't know if there's any other Facebookers out there that uh, that end up on Facebook more than they'd like to admit, especially in the last month. As I was going through, I mean, I felt like, man, I just need to, I just need to shut this off. So much negativity, so many. I don't need to hear one more article about either candidate. I don't need to do, like, and and you have to at some point assess, how is this benefiting me? How is this allowing me to to focus on things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely? Like, how, how is that being discerning enough to guard your mind? All of these things are what moves us towards being unshakable, Are you being shaken by wandering thoughts? He ends with one last practical charge. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Like the catching the term there. Practice these things. Practice what things? Well, exactly what we've been talking about. Dealing with conflict appropriately systematically eliminating worry in your life by committing those areas to prayer, taking control of your thought life. It takes practice. It's not just something that adds up on the pile of things you've heard. It actually takes action on your part. What are we going to do in response to this text? Are we going to be like, oh yeah, that that was a good sermon. There we go. Let's get on with Thanksgiving. Or do we need to do a little bit of assessment and say, hey, which one of these things is causing me to be shaken? Which one of these things is getting me off track? I want to pray in just a moment as the worship team comes up that God would allow us to slow down enough to kind of assess that. Be real honest with myself. Is it conflict that's shaking me currently? Is that it? Is it something that's, that's captured my mind, that, that I have so much anxiety, has captured my thoughts, I can't get past it, that I just need to turn over in prayer? Is it, is it just a wandering mind that's just always going 100 different miles an hour, different directions? Which one does God want to get your attention about this morning? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this word Thank you for how practical it is. It's not something that is all about shaping our thinking. It's practical things we can even work on today. Pray for any person here that's in this room that has conflict, that if they're honest with themselves, that's really taking them on some pretty dark detours. It's really taking them off track. It's really caused them to 
stray from their relationship with you, I pray that this might be a step this week in the right direction. Even confessing that before you now in these moments would be a wonderful first step. I thank you that we can do that in the Lord. Thank you, too, for this charge about anxiety, the fact that we don't have permission for any of that. I pray that would, too, be something that we confess before you, God. We've given too much time, too much thought to things that are outside of our control. Forgive us, God, for that. Forgive me, God, for that. For even reigning over what comes in, what what gets attention, what gets played on the screen of our minds, God. Pray that you'd work on that area of us as well. We can only do this, we acknowledge fully in your strength. I thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for how practical you are just in figuring out how we can get the most out of life. You came that we'd have life to the fullest. God, thank you again in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Definitely a good word for us from Philippians. Amen. Two quick reminders just as you're leaving day. One is we have this blood drive thing. Man, it'd be wonderful if a number of us, I guess there's no waiting right now. Uh, if you want to participate in that, it's a great way to serve our community in a, just a tangible way. And second, we'd love to have you guys, and you might want to do this. Take out your phone, set a little reminder for Tuesday or Wednesday. Come visit us at a Starbucks. It'd be so fun to hang out with you treat you for a drink before Thanksgiving. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.